0: I'm gonna show you how great I am. This was our tiny power. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. All right. Uh, Merry Christmas and welcome to How to Take Over the World. This is Ben Wilson. I, uh, I love Christmas, I love the holiday season, and growing up, I loved it when TV shows would do a Christmas special, and I love it when podcasts do it, so I thought I would do that. I would come out with a Christmas special episode. Uh, hopefully you can listen while you're opening presents or enjoying your Christmas dinner, and if you don't celebrate Christmas, then I hope you enjoy it all the same. So I'm going to do a short, just two, three-minute story about the true St. Nicholas, who's the inspiration for Santa Claus, and then I solicited some questions on Twitter, so I'm going to answer some listener questions. So, let's jump into it. Um, First off, who was Saint Nicholas? So, Saint Nicholas was an early Greek Christian. He was born in 270 AD, and he lived in the city of Myra in the region of Lycia, which is, in Asia Minor, essentially the modern state of Turkey. So, he was a Greek who lived in what is now Turkey, and he was a Christian, and he was a bishop. He came from a very wealthy family, but he dedicated his life to being a priest, to being religious, and to giving away that wealth that he inherited from his parents. And so he was known as this great gift giver. He's also known as a worker of miracles. So he has many miracles that are associated with him, including resurrections, calming a storm, and manifesting wheat out of thin air for some sailors. He's a patron saint of many different groups of people, including sailors, including children. Um, And what he's best known for is being the patron saint of giving secret gifts. So there are many different stories of him giving little gifts and secret gifts to people. But the most famous of them is uh, about this man in Mira who was a successful businessman, but unfortunately lost everything um, and so was terribly impoverished and he had three daughters. And so he couldn't afford a dowry for his three daughters. A dowry was back in the olden days, actually in some places of the world, dowries still exist. And what it is is It's a price that a father has to pay for someone to marry his daughters. Um, it's complicated why that happens, but in in certain civilizations and cultures, it's considered more of a burden to have another woman to have to take care of. Um, I didn't say it. Okay. This don't get mad at me, but so the, the father has to pay a dowry in order for a woman to get married. Okay. So he wasn't able to afford a dowry for his three daughters, which meant that they were probably going to have to work as uh, women of the night, shall we say, and Saint Nicholas saw the situation, didn't want them to have to do that. And so he has all this money. And so he secretly gives a dowry payment in the middle of the night to this father. The most often told version of the story is he throws a bag of gold through this man's window. And so he does it one night for the oldest daughter. He does it another night for the second daughter. And then the next two nights, the father waits up all night trying to catch this person who is being so generous towards him. And finally he finds St. Nicholas as he's leaving the third gold of bag for the third daughter to have a dowry. And St. Nicholas, you know, makes him promise to not tell anyone that he was the one who'd been giving these gifts. You know, presumably the, the father does not keep that promise because we all know now St. Nicholas is actually the giver of the secret gifts, but it's this great story. Another version I've heard of it is that, you know, they had been doing their laundry and so their laundry is hanging up to dry and they have stockings and so. St. Nicholas goes and puts the gold in their in their stockings, in their socks. And so that's why we have the tradition of hanging stockings for presents at Christmas now. And so over the years, you know, the figure of St. Nicholas kind of changed and transformed and became what we now have as the modern Santa Claus. Many of the things that you know about Santa Claus are very different from what would have been true of St. Nicholas, you know, very unlikely that he would have worn uh, red robes with white frill or black boots he's neither particularly fat and jolly nor particularly little like an elf he didn't live at the north pole like i said he lived he was a greek living in in what is now turkey but the the common thread is that he is this giver of secret gifts and so there was a celebration on saint nicholas's day which used to be on december 6th i believe um but then that eventually got moved to december 25th to coincide with Christmas with the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ himself and so yeah uh, you know that's not really a a story of someone who took over the world in the traditional sense but I think it's comforting to believe that not everyone needs to found the Roman Empire that sometimes a simple act of charity is enough to get you remembered forever so there you go that's a uh, brief summary of the story of Saint Nicholas I hope you enjoyed it on this uh, on this great Christmas day Uh, Okay, now I'll answer some listener questions that I solicited on Twitter. Okay, first up, Leon Co asks, what habits have I adopted from the people that I have studied or learned about on this podcast? So first of all, one thing that's actually from someone modern, but I learned it when I was researching Alexander the Great, funnily enough. Um, But I found this kind of similarity between Alexander the Great and Warren Buffett in the way that they focused. Warren Buffett has, who's, if you don't know, is an American investor, one of the wealthiest people in the world, he's worth billions and billions of dollars. And he has this method of determining what he's going to focus on in any given week. What he does is he writes down his top 20 priorities, the 20 things he wants to get done that week. And then he circles the top five. And then the question is, what does he do with the other 15? What does he do through with six through 20? And you might think that he puts them on a list entitled, I'll get to him sometime or to do when I'm done with the other five but he actually puts them on a list entitled avoid at all costs. And that's because he thinks he can focus on a maximum of 5 things in a given week and number 6 through 20 are the things that are most likely to suck his attention to to you know make his focus go astray because they're the things that are almost important enough that are that are very interesting to him but but not the most important thing. And so he says at least for this week I am going to avoid these things at all costs. And so I try to do that. I try and list out my priorities and only focus on those five most important things and really avoid those secondary priorities. That's what focus means to me. Uh, He asked specifically about food. I do try to eat faster and eat less, Um, but the food thing actually isn't really about food. It's about finding something that you're so interested in that you'd rather do it than eat. And so I do try and use that as a litmus test in terms of what I focus on. Is this so important to me? Is this so interesting to me that I could go without eating in order to do it? And and so that's how I do the food thing. Um, I do try and take cold baths. Not cold. Sho- I find cold showers torturous and less effective than cold baths. So I think you get more bang for your buck, and it's just more enjoyable. I can really psych myself out to to you know jump in my cold plunge and just be cold for a, a couple minutes. Um, one other thing, and this is a sneak peek from an upcoming episode, but Walt Disney, I'm doing an episode on right now, and there's a story of a young animator going up to Walt with an animation saying, you know, what do you think? And Walt says, well, it's hard to choose from just one. And so Walt always wanted more options. He wanted more versions that he could choose from. And so he would always tell his animators, you know, go back and just try some different things and then bring it to me and I'll tell you what I like. And so I've been trying to do that more with people who are doing work for me of Even if I think it's pretty good, okay, could we see it a different way just so that we know what else we could be doing before we make a decision? And, uh, you know, those are just a few things I thought of top of mind. But obviously, there are a lot of things that have changed about my life since starting this podcast. And I'd like to think that I've incorporated a lot of different lessons from the studies that I've done for this show. Um, Leon also asks, who has the best podcast that you're not affiliated with and what do you like about it? Well, I should first mention a show I am affiliated with, which is My First Million, and I think it's the best show out there. If you're interested in entrepreneurship, money, starting your own thing, that's an amazing show, but I will answer your, your question. Of the shows that I'm not affiliated with, I would say Fall of Civilizations podcast. It's a podcast about what it says it is, uh, ancient civilizations that, that fell, and he digs a little bit into why they fell and what caused their collapse. The guy who hosts it is an actual archeologist. So he has a lot of great firsthand knowledge from being on site and looking through some of these ruins. And I'm really jealous of the production value of that show. Uh, They just incorporate some really interesting sound elements from getting native speakers of some of these languages that are often nearly dead. There are very few speakers left in the world and they will find one and get them to read texts um, from the time period that they're talking about. So if it's the fall of the Aztec empire, you know they will get some of these writings and get people who can speak these, these nearly dead languages to, to read what they wrote. And they're able to incorporate music from the time period and different sound, how it would have sounded to be there at the, at the time of the collapse of the civilization. So it just sounds amazing. And the topic is something that's really interesting to me. I think it'd be interesting to a lot of people who listen to this show. So I highly recommend the Fall of Civilizations podcast. Dinesh Pupala asks, how did Raise a Genius episode change my perspective on raising a child? It's pretty simple. I used to think that there was a trade-off between loving your child and raising them to be great. I really thought that Polgar showed that you can do both, that you can be a good parent, a good mother, a good father, and also push your child, teach them, instruct them to be a genius, to be great. So, yeah, I'm trying to do both. And that's really changed my outlook. Uh, What else? A couple people asked about documentaries. And I essentially don't watch documentaries. So, unfortunately, I don't have good answers there on historical documentaries. So, sorry. Um, Aaron O'Hara says, love the pod. Enjoy your Christmas. Thank you, Aaron. Not a question, but thank you. Abhishek Yadav asked how I ended up working with my first million podcast. I actually did that whole story on an interview I recently did on the active life podcast. So if you want to go search active life podcast, uh, you can listen to my interview there. I think I'll actually post it on my feed here in the next few weeks. So stay tuned if you want to listen to that the easy way. Naveen Nagrani asks if I can do an episode on Elon Musk. Elon actually just did an interview on hardcore history. So apparently he's open to coming on History Podcast, so tweet at Elon, tell him to come on How to Take Over the World. I, uh, I'll definitely do an episode on Elon if he'll let me interview him. Otherwise, yeah, I mostly just do dead people. So I would love to do an episode on Elon. Elon, come on How to Take Over the World. Rob Hansen. hi Rob, good friend of mine from college, uh, asks, is there anyone that you're aware of now that hasn't yet, but you think could take over the world in the next 5, 10, or 20 years? And Rob puts take over the world in quotation marks. So obviously it depends on what exactly you mean by take over the world. You know, if you mean make a lot of money, you know, take over the world like the Rothschilds, then I think there are people already like that. People with lots and lots of money, um, take over like Steve jobs did. There are also many people doing that in the world of business. Uh, obviously I would keep my eye on Elon. He's already extremely successful. And I think SpaceX and Starlink still have a ton of room to grow. But if you mean politically, which is what I assume Rob means, because that's the more interesting question, um, then yeah, there's talk of could you have essentially an American Caesar, someone who ends our democratic republic and asserts a more autocratic rule. And yeah, I think you could see that in the next 20 years. It's a little unlikely. I think it's more likely you see it in the next 50 years. But I definitely think that's a possibility. People joke that You know, okay. so Napoleon was from an area that was an island just south of France that was technically a part of France, but actually was culturally different and spoke a different language. So is there anything like that that fits America? And the answer is yes. Uh, Puerto Rico sits off the southern coast of the United States. It's technically American territory. It's owned by the U.S., um, but culturally, it's different than America. And linguistically, they speak Spanish rather than English. So the joke is that the American Napoleon is actually going to be Puerto Rican, and uh, I think that could actually be true. I think uh, Latino Napoleon is coming to America sometime in the next 50 years. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, um, it does seem, you know, I've talked before about that insider-outsider phenomenon, right? The person who established the first true Greek Empire was actually Macedonian, was, was Philip and then Alexander. And so I think you could see something where the first American Caesar is um, like Latino American. That wouldn't surprise me. Not sure why that matters, but um, I, I just think it's funny. And I, I do think it's possible anyway. And then one, one more way to, to think about this is that sort of the base level of political organization tends to expand and contract. So, you know, over time it will go from city-states So a very small level of political organization up to nations and then to empires. And then those empires tend to collapse and you go back down uh, and actually tends not to go back down through nations, but to fracture and you see city-states again. And so I think we're living in an era of a vast global American empire. And I would not be surprised to see that empire um, start to crack up a little bit and certainly exert less influence than it is now. And to see more organization around cities and cities becoming the dominant form of political organization. And so then I think that will lead to more powerful and colorful characters who are less constrained by the many checks and balances of a very large democratic Republic. So you could see lots of little mini Caesars running around and, and people taking over the world. Um, you could see more. Monarchs, more, uh, absolute rulers than you see right now. Eddie Lee asks, loved the Rothschild's episodes. What other families would you consider examining on how they took over the world? Um, I considered the Waltons. So Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart, one of the biggest corporations in the world. But ultimately, that was really just one founder and then his children inherited the company. So the families that I thought about looking at, I also think are extremely successful and really interesting are the Borgias, who were a a family, an Italian family of aristocrats, priests. You had some popes that were Borgias. Um, They're really interesting. The Medici's, similarly, an Italian family in Florence, um, great businessmen, great political leaders. Um, That's a story I'll tell someday. The Darwin's are worth looking at. People know of Charles Darwin, the theorist behind evolution, but there are actually many famous scientists in the Darwin family, and it's interesting how they were able to do it across multiple generations. And then the last family that I think of are the Churchill's, So Winston Churchill, everyone knows, he was the leader of the United Kingdom during World War II. Um, Also, his grandfather is the Duke of Marlborough, and he was probably the greatest British general of all time. So that's an interesting family, to say the least. Come here, Claire, you want to say something? Yeah. That's my daughter, Claire. She, uh, yeah, she's going to be my Judith Polgar. She's the one that's going to take over the world. So she's sitting with me right now because it's Christmas, and I'm home here with her. Yeah, she's helping me record this right now. He also asks, who are some people that come to mind that took over with their thoughts and ideology versus their might and achievements? Um, So who are people who have taken over the world with their ideas? Uh, He says, other than religious leaders. Well, I'm doing an episode on Walt Disney right now, and I think that's one answer. Um, Some other people that I'm interested in profiling because I think they took over the world with their ideas. Theodore Herzl essentially came up with the idea for the modern state of Israel. I think that's really interesting how he was able to manifest this great change just with his ideas. Um, Karl Marx is someone else I'm really interested in. You could also look up Nietzsche, Hitler, Lenin, Socrates, uh, a lot of the the old philosophers. And I don't think you should leave off religious leaders. I would be very interested in doing episodes on Jesus. Happy birthday, by the way. Uh, Mohammed, Buddha. Uh, Brigham Young is an episode I'm doing. He was a religious leader, although he he did do it more with his, uh, his achievements and his might rather than his ideas. He wasn't that kind of religious leader. But so yeah, I, I do think uh, there are people who can do it with their ideas rather than their actual achievements. And I do plan on doing some of those at some point. Okay, lastly, what episodes am I working on right now? And here's the official list. Walt Disney uh, is the series I'm working on next, then Brigham Young, then Joan of Arc, and then a World War II series on FDR, Churchill, Hitler, and Stalin. So I'm going to do all four major leaders through World War II and talk about what made them similar, what made them different, compare and contrast, and go through all of that history. And then uh, I don't have any plans after that. Um, so we'll, we'll see who ends up striking my interest. So that's it for this episode. Merry Christmas, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to How to Take Over the World. Claire, anything you want to say? You want to say goodbye to the audience? Bye bye. bye bye. She said bye bye. Claire says bye bye. Merry Christmas, everyone.